Today on the Matt Walsh Show, there's been a dramatic increase in violent incidents on airplanes. There's also, there's also been a dramatic increase in violent incidents everywhere else uh, in the country. What does all this add up to? We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines. Uh, Joe Biden continues to mentally decay in front of the world. If you haven't seen the latest video of this, it's pretty startling. Caitlyn Jenner says that he's the victim of transphobia from the left. Are the Dems, in fact, the real transphobes? And CNN's Anna Navarro defends public masturbator Jeffrey Tubin. Her defense is uh, pretty pathetic. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the increasing efforts to normalize so-called sex work, a.k.a. prostitution. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So what are you going to do about the fact that uh, it seems like every company, especially this month, is going full woke? Well, one of the things you could do is find the, um, the gloriously unwoke companies, and I mean that in, uh, in the best way possible, and support them. One of them is Charity Mobile. You don't have to worry about Charity Mobile doing the woke thing. They're not going to do it. Uh, one company that fits the description of, of, of a company that's on our side of the culture war is Charity Mobile. That's the pro-life phone company. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. And what that means is that you're helping to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. Uh, and you're also getting a great service on top of that. I can attest to it. I've been a Charity Mobile customer for, I don't know, a year now or something. And it's been a great experience. A lot of perks, you get new activations and eligible accounts, get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. There's no contracts, there's no termination fees, and there's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. There's also live customer service based right here in the USA, uh, which is good for a number of reasons. Also, it's uh, American jobs, so another reason to support Charity Mobile. Uh, this is nationwide service on America's largest and most reliable 4G LTE network. So call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. You may not have heard about this incident, but it seems pretty notable to me, or at least it should be notable. Newsweek has the report. It says a Delta Airlines pilot asked strong males to help subdue a problem passenger who turned out to be an off-duty flight attendant during a chaotic flight from Los Angeles to Atlanta on Friday. A Delta spokesperson reportedly said the unnamed off-duty flight attendant hijacked the plane's public address system to speak to passengers about their oxygen masks during Flight 1730, which prompted a dramatic tussle with passengers. Uh, the pilot told passengers, according to NBC, this is the captain speaking, we'd like all strong males to come to the front of the aircraft to handle a problem passenger. Now, what, what does that tell you, by the way? All strong males. You know, it's, you notice he called for strong males. He didn't call for any women because in, in that moment... When you're up 30,000 feet in the air and there's uh, something happening and needs to be contained, there's no time to worry about political correctness. It's let's get, we need the strong guys here. Um, that's kind of interesting. That's not really the point, though. Video of the chaos was posted to Twitter by a passenger who witnessed it. And she posted the clip explaining, quote, that um, someone tried to hijack our plane from LAX to Atlanta. So that's what she said, hijack the plane. Here's what that video looks like. Let's watch a little bit of it. Okay, so you see a whole bunch of guys tussed. Can't really see much. This is certainly the kind of thing you don't want to see when you're on an airplane. Um, all right, and eventually, eventually they contained the guy, and then they, they made an emergency landing. And uh, there you go. Now... 
But you, you look at that video and you hear the story. If you feel like you already heard this same story a few weeks ago and saw a video kind of like that, uh, that's because you did or something very similar to it. In, in that case, uh, it was a flight also from L.A. This was uh, two weeks ago or so. You may be noticing a pattern. Both, both of these are from L.A. This time it was heading to Nashville and a, quote, unruly passenger tried to break into the cockpit and was tackled and restrained by a group of flight attendants. Now, these alleged attempted hijackings or whatever they were may not have been very sophisticated and they may not have had any real chance of success. It's not like the plane was ever in any danger of uh, being taken down. But still, two in less than a month seems like a lot. And in fact, a lot doesn't begin to cover it. There's been a huge rise in violent and dangerous behavior on flights. They mostly aren't attempted hijackings, but even so, the figures cited by Newsweek in the same article are just outrageous and almost impossible to believe. Listen to this. Quoting now, it says, In early May, the Federal Aviation Administration warned air travelers about a significant rise in dangerous behavior aboard flights in 2021. There are usually 100 to 150 official instances of unruly passengers, passenger behavior in a typical year. But listen to this. That figure leaped to more than 1,300 in the first four months of this year, according to the agency. 1,300 in four months as opposed to 100 or so in a whole year. In fact, a BBC article says that U.S. airlines have reported 3,000 unruly passengers this year. Now, there might be a distinction being drawn here between dangerous and unruly, which may explain the disparity. But whether we're looking at 1,300 or 3,000, there's obviously something going on here. A part of the problem is certainly the masking policies, I would guess. A certain number of those unruly passengers may have simply been not wearing a mask or not wearing it correctly and were categorized as unruly and kicked off the plane. I don't know if all these toddlers we see getting kicked off planes because they're not wearing masks, are, or do they go down in the books officially as unruly? I don't know. And certain other instances, be, uh, certain other passengers in these videos uh, have become unruly because of disputes over masks. And in general, flying is a high-stress situation in a claustrophobic environment already. Any additional annoyances or discomforts added, like having to wear a muzzle on your face the whole time, will only increase the likelihood of confrontations. So that must account for some of the rise in dangerous behavior on flights, but it probably doesn't account for all of it especially when you consider that this problem extends far beyond the airline industry. Every other day, there's another video circulating online of massive bras breaking out, um, sometimes in airports and on planes, but also in restaurants, malls, anywhere else. Add to that the much publicized videos of people being randomly assaulted in the street. We hear about the Asian victims of these kinds of crimes, but the problem is not limited to Asian victims. And then, of course, there's the surge in violent crime across the country generally. As many of our biggest cities see record numbers of murders, assaults, robberies, etc. It's not just violent crime either. Uh, San Francisco has seen a rise in shoplifting that's so dramatic that it's, it's putting many stores out of business. The Independent reports that Walgreens has had to close down 17 locations just due to so-called petty theft. Speaking of which, video posted yesterday shows a shoplifter literally loading a garbage bag with stolen goods and then casually riding his bike. Yeah, he rode his bike into the store, riding it out of the store while security guards look on helplessly, not doing anything about it. Let's let's watch some of that footage here. Wow. Hear, now, the security guards are filming it. Or it looks like it's an employee and a security guard. 
He makes a kind of lackadaisical attempt. <laughs> he makes a lackadaisical attempt to grab the bag, but then gives up. And says, ah, never mind. You, you can take it. And you can hear, I think it was the employee saying, should we call 911? And I don't know whether they called 911 or not, but they probably didn't because it's been made clear that the cops are not going to pursue criminals like this because they're not going to be prosecuted. Now, you think about San Francisco, between the homeless people defecating in the street, the heroin addicts throwing their needles all over the sidewalk, shoplifters strolling out of drugstores with garbage bags full of merchandise, San Francisco is just a lovely place to live. And by lovely, I mean it's a godforsaken hellscape, not unlike many other cities in this country. And so far, listing all of these things, we haven't, we haven't said anything about the rioting which plagued our cities last summer and has now coincidentally tapered off now that there's a Democrat in office. But even so, the precedent has been set that mobs of opportunistic scumbags can pour into the street and set fire to random buildings whenever they're upset about something. And they'll face almost no consequence. Unless they're right wing, in which case, even if they're trespassing, they're going to be hunted down by the federal government and thrown in jail for 20 years. And all of this is to say nothing of the suicide epidemic among kids, which we discussed at some length yesterday. Now, add all of this together. And what do you get? Not much, I suppose, except maybe the breakdown of human society. That's all. I mean, any one of these factors, rioting, homicide epidemic, people beating the hell out of each other on airplanes, um, may not signify a societal breakdown on its own, but put them all together at the same time. And I'm not sure what else to call it. The, the interesting question is why this is happening. I think there's really no question that we're looking at the breakdown of society. The question really is why? And why right now? As for that, I think three contributing factors should be mentioned, though this is far from an exhaustive list. One, you know, it's not a coincidence that many of us predicted this sort of thing well over a year ago when the government locked us all in our homes. We were exactly right, but we didn't need to be prophets or fortune tellers to see it coming. You cannot shut down a society of 330 million people for any length of time and expect it to start back up again like nothing happened. In sci-fi movies, you can cryogenically freeze an individual person for a year or 100 years or whatever and then thaw them out and they'll be good as new, right, in the movies. But even in the movies, you can't do that to an entire society. That doesn't work in fiction, let alone reality. There are consequences to such a drastic and, un and unnecessary measure. Even when you open things back up and you hope that everything's going to go back to normal, it doesn't work that way. There are going to be serious consequences, catastrophic consequences, in fact, and we're seeing them right now, I would argue. Two, another factor um, also um, is that trust in and respect for authority is probably at an all-time low. And some of that is deserved. Nobody trusts or respects our politicians, nor should they. But then police also have been demonized as departments are defunded, and even the departments that aren't defunded have trouble recruiting new talent. Why would anyone want to be a cop with the knowledge that they'll be branded a racist murderer at the outset? And if they ever have to use deadly force, God forbid, they may, they may well go to prison for it, whether it was justified or not. And if they, even if they don't go to prison for it, their life's going to be ruined. And three, I think the final factor we should note, this is nothing new. But we should mention, combined with these other ingredients, there is the general lack of meaning and purpose among so many in our civilization. 
as the flight from God and religion, theistic religion anyway, continues. So, we have a society of people already in despair, many of them, from their sense of meaninglessness, who are then torn out of their normal lives by the lockdown, which was unnecessary. And at the same time, the structures of authority are destabilized. Mix all that together, pour it in a pan, stick it in the oven, and this is what you cook up. What's the good news? Well, that was really the end of what what I had to say. I I don't have any good news. That's it. But I will say this. One thing you can do, get out of the cities. That's for sure. Move to the country. That's where you need to be. Let's get now to our five headlines. Well, I don't know about you. I think about the things I love doing during the summer. Uh, I, I, I do. It, it is nice to be inside air conditioning as much as possible, especially down here in Tennessee where the humidity is like walking into a brick wall. But if I'm going to be inside in the air conditioning, I don't want to be walking around uh, an auto parts store. That's not where I, I want to be inside my own house. And the great thing about Rock Auto is if I need auto parts, I can sit um, in the comfort of my own home and just pull out my phone, get on my laptop and find all the parts I need. I don't need to walk aimlessly around that auto parts store, ask all these questions about my car. I can't answer any of them uh, because I don't know a lot about cars. And then I get upset and I start crying and I run out of the store. It's happened so many times. I'm sure it's happened to you. And that's why you need Rock Auto for a lot of other reasons, too, because they offer the lowest prices possible. They're not changing the prices. They're not going to you know, try to get as much money as they can out of you. It's just that if you get it there, it's the lowest price possible. They're a family business, an honest business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Um, the catalog is unique and very easy to navigate. So if you want to experience it for yourself, go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And as always, remember to write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that uh, we sent you. All right. So um, staying on the bad news, which could really be the name of the show, I guess. The bad news with Matt Walsh. Why didn't we think of that? It's just coming to me now. Anyway, uh, it's, a little, it's probably a little bit hard to market. So let's go here. Joe Biden is uh, getting ready for his talk with Putin, and he was asked by a reporter what he plans to say to Putin. And uh, I want to show you his response. Now, it, it, we've seen a lot of this kind of thing from Joe Biden. There's a, sort of nothing new about it. And we get so used to it that you think, oh, there's, there's old Joe Biden again having a brain fart. No, this is not a brain fart, okay? This is someone who's losing their mind, experiencing mental decay in front of cameras, in front of the whole world. And it's it's bad and embarrassing. But let's let's watch it first of all. <laughs> Answer the first question. <laughs> I'm laughing too. They actually I well, look, I mean, he has made clear that uh, uh, the answer is, I believe he is in the past essentially acknowledged that he was uh, there are certain things that he would do or did do. What was that? I, I don't even understand the answer. 
In, in the past, he's acknowledged that there were certain things he would do or did do. Uh, okay. And what does would what would do in the past? What does that mean? Well, there's no, there's no point in trying to dissect this or get, or get into it. Um, this is, again, someone who's experiencing rapid, rapid mental decline in front of the entire world. I think at, at this point, it, it's been very obvious all along, but now it seems all but certain that Joe Biden most likely is not going to be the president when we get to 2024. I mean, to the not 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 even voting out of office, but he's not going to be the guy. It's going to be Kamala Harris um, by the time we get there. Now it's it's really just a question of when. It's really there's two questions now. Um, when does this official transition of power happen, and how does it happen? And we're going to find out. You know, and, and when it gets to the point where Joe Biden is completely unable to fulfill the duties of the presidency, you could argue he's at that point right now. But we, we don't, that's the thing. We don't really know how bad it actually is at this point. We know, what we know right now is that in front of cameras, he loses his train of thought a lot. And then he starts babbling incoherently. And that's, and that's pretty disturbing and that's troubling. But what is it like behind the scenes? When he's not in front of cameras, when he's sitting in his in uh, in the Oval Office, can can he basically does does he basically have his wits about him? It's possible. But the point is, we're not we're not necessarily going to know. There's a there's a line, we don't know where the line is, where he is no longer able to fulfill the duties of the presidency. Uh, where is that line? When has when does he cross it? Has he already crossed it? And uh, will we be told when he crosses it? This is a, a full-on constitutional crisis that we're looking at, potentially. We, we may already be in one. And what makes this so frustrating is just like the consequences of the lockdown, this was so foreseeable. Of course this is going to happen when you, when you elect a 78-year-old man who's already in cognitive decline. And then you take him And you put him in the most stressful job on earth. We've all, unfortunately, most of us have, because because Alzheimer's is so common, dementia is so common, um, most of us have had experience with seeing this with loved ones. And so you know, if you have, say, your grandfather or grandmother who went through this, you know how quickly you start seeing the warning signs and then it's kind of like they're gradually headed to this cliff and then they fall off the cliff. And it happens very fast. And you know, that, that happens when your grandfather, your grandmother is retired. And they're sitting at home all day, playing with the grandkids. Relatively stress-free life. Still, the decline is exponential until you fall off the cliff. And it's like they just aren't even there anymore. And it's very sad. Um, okay, so we know that, ex- that that happens exponentially with a retired person in a stress-free life. What about when you when you put them in in one of the most physically and mentally demanding jobs on the planet? And also one of the most consequential and important jobs on the planet. It's just crazy. We knew this was going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. 
And even a lot of, uh, even plenty of conservatives who are Biden critics. I, 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 I've been making this point all along. I'm certainly not the only one, but those of us who've been making this point about Joe Biden, that he's too old. I, I can only speak for myself, but I've, I heard from a lot of uh, even conservatives saying, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like Joe Biden, but that's not the reason. That, 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 that's not the reason not to vote for him. Let, let's not be ageist. Okay. Uh, my, my grandmother is uh, 85 and she's sharp as a tack. A lot of that kind of nonsense. Now, yeah, you're right that there were a lot of other reasons not to vote for Joe Biden. But actually, you didn't really need any other reasons. Because the fact that he's 78 is reason enough. You simply should not be electing 78-year-olds to, to the presidency, and we should never do this again. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. It's catastrophic. You're asking for a crisis on... 10 different levels, and you're going to get it. There are realities. I don't want to hear any of this. It's ageism. Oh, shut up. It's not ageism to, to acknowledge the reality of, of, of age. It's not ageist to, to simply notice that age exists and there are certain realities that come with it because we are mortal creatures living in a physical frame that deteriorates over time. I know it's not fun to think about. Nobody likes to think about it, but it's true. Your 85-year-old grandmother is sharp as a tack for an 85-year-old. Not in general. She's not as sharp as she was when she was 45. She wasn't. She's not. Nobody is. Unless, she, unless you're telling me she's literally superhuman. Bring her to a... To a we we got to discover... She, she's discovered the, the elixir of immortality. Bring her to a lab somewhere. Maybe we could figure out what's going on. Um, aside from that, she, she, she may be sharp as a tack for an 85-year-old. That, that doesn't mean that at her age, she is suited to do one of the most stressful and important jobs on planet Earth. Okay. Okay, sharp as a tack for an 85-year-old means that they can hold a conversation and, you know, they can play with the grandkids and all of that kind of stuff, which is great. I hope that I can do all that when I'm 85. I hope I'm still alive when I'm 85. That doesn't mean you put them in the in the in the Oval Office. We we, we shouldn't after eighty. We we shouldn't even have to talk about whether eighty year olds should be president. Of course not. Eighty year olds shouldn't even be driving. Okay, in a sane society, you wouldn't have that. This is this we 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 cannot can we all, and I know we can't agree to it because that's the other frustrating thing. We should, after this experience, we should all be able to agree. We are never doing this again. We are not going to elect a 78-year-old. Nobody should turn 80 in the Oval Office. Nobody. I wish we could agree. We could make a pinky promise with each other, but we can't. Can we? Because you know the, the elephant in the room here is that uh, I say we shouldn't elect a 78-year-old to... Uh, the presidency ever again. I mean it, but uh, Donald Trump will be 78 in 2024. Am I applying this to him? Yes, absolutely. Because he is also a mortal creature who is susceptible to physical and mental decline like anybody is. All right. Let's go to number two from the Daily Wire. Uh, reading out, it says, California gubernatorial candidate Caitlyn Jenner slammed late-night host Jimmy Kimmel after he called Jenner Trump in a wig. 
During his show on Thursday night, Kimmel celebrated the end of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which ran for 20 seasons across 14 years and inspired 10 spinoffs. 10 spinoffs of Keeping Up with the Kardashians? I didn't even know there was one. There's 10? My Lord. Kimmel said, uh, um, anyway, I'm not going to repeat his jokes because it's not even really funny, but he, then, he, then he made a joke that uh, Caitlyn Jenner is Donald Trump in a wig. And then there was some outrage about that, but, but not from the left, of course. It was from the right. And Jenner called out Kimmel, the left, and the LGBT community on Twitter on Friday. He tweeted, quote, Last night, Jimmy Kimmel called me Donald Trump with a wig. He obviously believes that trans women are simply men with wigs on. Well, where's the outrage from the left or LGBT community? Being woke must be optional if you're a Democrat. And, of course, there are, as I said, plenty of people on the right jump, jumping on this bandwagon and saying, oh, where, where's this is transphobia. Where, where's the outrage from the left? Where's the outrage? Uh, and, and yes. Okay, it, it is hypocrisy. Of course it is. We, we all understand that. If Jimmy Kimmel had made this joke about any other trans person um, that, that I can even think of, because all the other ones that come to mind are on the left, uh, any other you know, prominent trans person in, in the public eye, or not prominent, if, if he had chosen any other target for that joke, who's transgender, and it's not Caitlyn Jenner. Yes, there would be there would be tremendous outrage on the left, and he would be, uh, well, the joke never would have been made in the first place, so we don't have to think about it, but if somehow it was, then there would be tremendous outrage, and he'd be forced to issue an apology and all the rest of it. Call, calling calling a, a, a quote-unquote trans woman a man in a wig, yes, from the left, in every other circumstance, they're going to call that blatant transphobia, and it's unacceptable, and it's probably a hate crime. However, um, so does that mean that we on the right should jump on this bandwagon and say, hey, this is transphobia? We're outraged by it. Why aren't you? You guys are the real transphobes. Should we be doing that? Should we do that whole routine? The answer is no. We shouldn't. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, and this is something we all need to try to understand and keep in mind. The left, they don't care about their hypocrisy. Not only do they not care about it, but it's the point. The hypocrisy is the point. Because that shows their cultural power. What they're saying is, we make the rules. Yeah, obviously the rules don't apply to us like they do to you. Thanks for noticing. We're the ones in charge. Yeah, clearly we don't care in general about quote unquote transphobia. This is a this is a tool that we use to bludgeon our opponents. You're our opponents. We're not going to bludgeon ourselves with the tool. That's the left. They will all but come out and say that. It's clearly their strategy. So by pointing out, by merely pointing out the hypocrisy in this way, it doesn't achieve much because it, it yeah, we, we all know it, but they know it too. And so what's the point? The hypocrisy is the point because it's all about power. That's the first problem with the Democrats are the real transphobe thing. The second is that in order to criticize the left, 
on their own grounds, right, by throwing their own labels back at them. And I understand the temptation to do this because you're saying, uh, well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make them take a dose of their own medicine. We're going to hold them to their own standard and all this kind of stuff. The problem is that to criticize them on their terms, not only is it ineffectual because they don't care, but also it requires you to adopt their presuppositions. It, 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 by, by criticizing them on their terms, they've already won because you're agreeing with them. So the left, they can, when, they hear, when they hear people on the right non-ironically using the term transphobia, the left, they can sit back and say, well, our work here is done, you suckers. But you, th- you think when you start calling them transphobes, they're, they're, they're cowering in fear? Oh, no, they're calling us transphobes. What will we do? We've been defeated. We've been bested at our own game. Oh, drat. We would have got away with it, too. If not for you darn kids. No, not at all. They're saying, okay, thank you. Thanks for agreeing with us. By using a term like transphobia, you're agreeing with them. You're ceding the point. You're surrendering the ground. You're adopting their philosophical presuppositions. On the right, what we should know is that, first of all, transphobia is not a thing. I'm not going to accuse anyone of being a transphobe. That's not a thing. Phobe is fear. No one's afraid of trans people. The people like myself who are critical of the concept of transgenderism, it's not, it's not out of fear. It's out of an understanding of science and logic. It's a logical criticism, not a fear-based one. And also, frankly, observing that um, a male with long hair is not a woman, that's not bigotry. Even if it's hypocritical coming from Jimmy Kimmel, it's still not bigotry. And so I'm not going to say that it is. Even in an attempt to score a point against Jimmy Kimmel, because you're not going to score the point anyway. All right, let's move on to uh, Anna Navarro. Okay, we got, we got to play this. Anna Navarro on The View yesterday was offering a defense of, speaking of double standards, here we go, um, was offering a defense of Jeffrey Tubin masturbating in front of his coworkers. Um, and there's no way to really set this up. We just have to, we have to listen and gawk in amazement at, uh, at this rationalization. Are you surprised to see him back on the air? You know, actually, I'm not surprised he's back on the air, but I will tell you when I saw that interview, oh God, how embarrassing, how humiliating. I, I kept thinking to myself, if I have to go on live TV and explain to the nation why I masturbated on a Zoom call, I think I'd rather go sell avocados under I-95 than get my job back on TV. Look, um, I think some instances of sexual harassment are black and white. Some instances are uh, more nuanced. In this case, uh, he was not sexually harassing anybody. He didn't have the intent to sexually harass somebody. He was sexually harassing himself, uh, maybe. Okay, He was on a Zoom call. He w- it was an accidental exposure. It was not a CNN Zoom call. It was with The New Yorker from where he has been terminated and faced consequences. He was off. CNN for many months uh, during the elections, during some of the hottest political and legal times. 
CNN is a for-profit business. If viewers don't like it, then they should make their views known. If they want to have some grace, if they want to say we're not going to cancel a guy uh, because he made a stupid mistake, I think uh, I think his bigger problem is, uh, frankly, with himself, with his family, with his wife, than it is um, with his CNN colleagues because it was not something that was done to us. <laughs> More nuanced. This is not uh, this is not black and white sexual harassment, okay? Well, black and white sexual harassment is you want to talk about black and white, straightforward. That's like a male coworker tells a female coworker that she looks nice in that dress. That, that's straightforward. No nuance there, okay? That right there. Now you want to know that's Me Too movement material. That's someone needs to be fired, probably arrested. Put them in, send them down to Gitmo. But uh, yeah, we got there. Are, there are more nuanced uh, situations, like a guy masturbating in front of his coworkers. Now, if he were to to compliment her on her dress, again, straightforward. But but masturbating in front of her, okay. See that now it's we're getting into the nuances, and it's just it's hard. Can you condemn it? Can you? Can we cast aspersions? Let he who has not masturbated in front of coworkers cast the first stone. And then she just gets pelted by a million stones. Yeah, this is obviously ridiculous. I just talked about the, the, the fruitlessness of pointing out double standards, so I'm not going to have my own double standard by doing the same here. Now we got double standards all over the place. It's like an inception situation with double standards. But uh, it, it, I, you can't gloss over this. The most straightforward form of sexual harassment, I would think, is what Jeffrey Tubin did. It's the most black and white sexual harassment that one can imagine, and I'd rather not imagine it. I, I have to, I have to uh, under, underscore the point again, because there's some, uh, there's some gaslighting going on here, to use a favorite phrase of the, of the left. There's some gaslighting going on when they talk about the Jeffrey Tubin thing. Because they keep saying it was an accident. He didn't mean to. Well, what part of it was an accident? The part where he took off his pants, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but you know, that whole process, that was not an accident. I mean, what does he have? Some sort of masturbatory Tourette syndrome where he just he can't stop himself? No, so that part was purposeful. What part was unpurposeful? Uh, that he didn't know his camera was on. Okay, so that's the unpurposeful part. But the other purposeful part is he was doing this during a meeting with his coworkers. They were on the screen. I don't want to speculate. Okay, the last thing I want to do is uh, is try to walk a mile in Jeffrey Tubin's messy shoes and to understand exactly where he was coming from. But... <laughs> There's no, no pun intended there. Uh, but, however, it's, it seems to me that he was doing this during a meeting with his coworkers, and they were up on the screen. So it seems like he was, uh, I don't know, watching them while doing this. All of that was intentional. He just didn't want them to know he was doing it. And so because of that, 
the whole thing's an accident? This is like if a guy, it's like, a, what if Jeffrey Tubin was outside of one of his coworkers' window at night, peering through the bushes? And then, and then Anna Navarro would say, it was an accident. He didn't, I don't know, he didn't know, he didn't mean to be caught. That's the distinction. The camera being on, that's him being caught. All right. I've said far too much. Now we're going to hear from a new sponsor, if we're excited about on the show, myphoto.com. After a tough year, people are together again. They're taking a lot of photos. Uh, in, in, in my case, in my family, it's we've been taking a lot of photos all along. I don't really take the photos, but my wife is the photo taker. No matter what we're doing, she's always saying, we got to take the picture. We take well, here's, here's the problem. You take a picture, and then it's just on your phone, and you forget about it, right? Um, what you need to do is take that picture and make it physical. And that's what my photo is all about. It's awesome, and it's easy to use. It takes literally two minutes to create a special product for your own wall or shelf or wherever, and then make great gifts for loved ones. My photo prints your image directly on acrylic, glass, metal, and more. Don't just have all those photos on your phone, stored away somewhere. Make them, make them into a, a, an actual physical photograph, kids. That's what we used to have back in the day. Yeah, you need to go to myphoto.com and check it out. That's myphoto.com. Order today. You'll get 20% off your order, which will arrive in just five days. And if you're looking for a Father's Day gift, no doubt dad will love one of these from you. Prices start at just $12. Use code Walsh and get 20% off today. Let's move on to reading the YouTube comments. Uh, okay, this is from uh, Big Mac. Says, Matt, would you rather eat a bur- eat at Burger King or at the soup kitchen Jeffrey Tubin volunteers at? Well, I, I just said I wanted to move on. But I imagine the problem you'd have with Jeffrey Tubin serving you is, is not dissimilar from the kind of problem you might have being served at a Burger King. So it's kind of a wash. Frederick Lancelot says, Matt, can we get a tie-dye Tuesday? It's what the people want. No. And you're banned. And nobody wants that except for you. You freak. But thanks for watching. Molly says, Matt, kids are being taught that slavery is okay as long as it's uh, through communism. Very good point. And you are, you are correct about that. Another comment says, Matt, do you think the ghost of Abuela will haunt AOC after Abuela dies? Well, the last thing I want to do is, is think about it. such a... Uh, such an eventuality, but uh, I, I, what I will say is, is that I would if I were the boiler in that scenario. Uh, Jay Moran says, you ever notice the people who drone on and on about slavery always leave out the part where we abolished it? Yeah, they leave it out or they, uh, they especially leave out the little detail how the United States is, uh, is abolished slavery quicker than almost any other country, right? We abolished slavery in about, what, 90 years or so? I mean, less than a century, we abolished it. A century from the United States forming as a country, you go from there to the, the abolition of slavery and you've got less than a century, okay? Meanwhile, you've got other countries across the world who've, that, that, that practiced slavery for thousands of years. And some still do, in effect. You know, slavery is technically abolished and illegal at this point everywhere, although it's still practiced in a lot of places, if not legally. Um, 
but it wasn't even abolished legally in some places until the last several decades. And those places are not Western countries, I have to tell you. Uh, Oliska says, I will not write more comments. I don't think Matt reads them. You're right. I don't read them at all. Uh, Olive says, Matt, Matt Walsh's sarcasm is to hide the fact that he has a massive, caring heart. No, no, it's not. And Reagan says, Matt was far too nice and understanding this episode. I almost believe he has feelings. What's going on here? So my brand has been damaged. These are all lies, by the way. And there were several comments like this accusing me of being nice and caring yesterday. What? How? When, when did that? When was the nice and caring part? That's why I had to be even more aggressive and, uh, and uh, you know, depressing this episode just to, just to kind of even things out again and maintain my reputation. Uh, and finally, Mason says, it's funny that no one talks about how the Irish were oppressed. Well, Mason, that's not possible. I don't know what you mean the Irish were oppressed. The Irish aren't black, are they? They're white, aren't they? You know, white people can't experience oppression. This uh, critical race theory taught me that. So I don't know what I don't know what you could possibly be talking about. After a year of lockdowns, it's become, I think, fairly clear that our leaders want nothing more than to control us. Uh, I would know because if I was a tyrannical dictator, I'd do the exact same thing, except I would be controlling you for your own good. That's the difference, right? Oh, no, wait, that's exactly what all tyrants say. Okay, well, um, but because I'm not, uh, I, I do enjoy our freedoms, which is why you need to pick up Ben Shapiro's new book, The Authoritarian Moment. Listen. If a theocratic fascist is telling you to pick up a book criticizing authoritarianism, then you must do it. I mean, you really must do it because I'm telling you to do it. So if you understand the threat this poses to our future, it's time to read up on the truth in order to stand up to the woke. The Authoritarian Moment is now available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and any other major bookseller. Also, I'll tell you about something something else exciting happening here at The Daily Wire. Um, We know that leftism turns men and women into creatures that resemble addicts of some sort. You know, blue hair, gender non-conforming, whatever it may be. This, isn't, this is not the exciting part. I'll get to that in a second. But thankfully, some renounce it before that, transforma- that transformation fully takes place and sometimes can become permanent. Georgia Howe is one of those people, and now she has a new show at The Daily Wire called Office Hours, where she interviews various experts about the ideological indoctrination of the left through the unique lens of a former member. If you're a conservative like me, you probably have a job. So we made sure, I don't know about anybody else, but we, we, we do anyway. So we made sure that you could listen anywhere uh, you can listen to the podcast. You can listen to the podcast version anywhere, anywhere you go. From discussing critical race theory to transgenderism, uh, all the th- crazy things that are happening in our education system and everything else, uh, you got to watch or listen to Office Hours. So subscribe and download Office Hours with Georgia Howe on Apple Podcasts or whatever your platform of choice may be and get ready for the ultimate listening experience no matter where you are. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So we begin our daily cancellation today with an account on Twitter called Astrologer6. In her bio, she describes herself as an inclusive astrologer, inclusive, and also an intimacy doula. Coincidentally, I have both of those titles listed on my resume as well. But I fear that she's making her fellow inclusive astrologers look bad with this tweet. She posted, quote, I finished a book about how modern dating is arguably unpaid sex work and woo, woo, woo. I believe the woos are meant to be uh, meant to signify approval. It must be some kind of technical astrologer term. I don't know. As for the rest, all I can say is that the word arguably is doing a whole lot of work in that sentence. She reveals in a follow-up that the name of the book, written by Maura Weigel, 
is uh, it's titled Labor of Love, The Invention of Dating. And as far as I could tell from my extensive research, which involved skimming a summary of the book for about 25 seconds, it does indeed make the case that um, the inclusive astrologer claims dating is nothing but unpaid prostitution. And this is not the only notable bit of prostitution-related content on Twitter this week. I also want to mention this, and, uh, and then I'll respond to and cancel both. Naomi Sayers, a lawyer, though suspiciously enough, she fails to specify whether she's an inclusive lawyer. She tweeted this, unpopular opinion, the best thing young people can do earlier in their careers is do sex work on the side because your early career prospects will be unstable, unpredictable, low pay, likely contract work, and very much exploitative. The best thing, not an acceptable thing or an understandable thing, and that would be bad and wrong enough. The best thing, she says. And you'll notice this is always the flight path of leftism, right? First, they argue that some degenerate activity is tolerable, and they, they simply want you to tolerate it and put up with it and let people do what they want to do in the privacy of their own homes or, or their own uh, seedy motel rooms in this case. And then they say, uh, no, 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 it's more than tolerable. It's a positive good. And then finally, they claim that it's more than a positive good. It's the best thing. It's the ideal thing. Normalization is never the final goal. Normalization is a step towards the goal. They don't want to make a bad thing merely normal. They want to make it laudable, virtuous. We may not be at that point yet with sex work, um, where at least we may not be at the point yet where most of society views, quote unquote, sex work that way. But especially with the advent of OnlyFans and the continued proliferation of online pornography, we've probably reached the normalized phase at least. In fact, the first hint that they've succeeded in normalizing sex work is the fact that people call it sex work rather than prostitution. And by the way, when we say normalized, we don't just mean that a certain sin is normal in the sense that lots of people do it. I mean, in that sense, prostitution has been normal since time immemorial, but, um, in, and all sin has been normal in that way, in the, in the sense that people do them. What we mean is, uh, is normal in the sense that society doesn't look down on it, doesn't judge it, doesn't view it as especially dirty or degraded. And that's probably where we are with prostitution. And that's a problem for many reasons. But two of them are illustrated quite helpfully in the tweets already mentioned. First, as the inclusive astrologer, or at least the book she's reading, says, uh, dating is unpaid sex work. That's the claim. And this is the kind of view that you find once, once quote-unquote, sex work prostitution becomes more and more normalized, you find these kinds of things being equated. But saying that dating is unpaid sex work, it's like saying that parenting is unpaid babysitting. Or it's like saying that cooking a nice meal for your family is unpaid restaurant work. Or having a conversation with a friend is like being an unpaid podcast co-host. I don't know. It turns, it turns all forms of human exchange into business deals. It makes all relationships transactional. Naomi Sayers, the lawyer, says that the best thing a young person can do is sell their bodies for money. And she says this is better than other career prospects because those other careers might be unstable and uh, exploitative. Of course, the obvious irony is that prostitution is the very definition of exploitation. The, the people who wish to normalize prostitution will say, and this, this argument is very common now, and this is what Naomi Sayers was saying, will say that there's no difference between literally whoring yourself out and say, working at McDonald's. But there's a very clear difference. When you work at McDonald's, you're being hired and paid to perform a task 
to do a certain thing. As a prostitute, you are the thing that is being done. You aren't selling your services or your skill set. You're selling your body itself. Your body is the product, the object, the inventory on the shelf. If you work at Old Navy, right, you're selling clothes. If you work as a prostitute, you're taking off your clothes and selling what's underneath. And what's underneath it is you, your body, yourself. The prostitute offers her body up as a glorified masturbatory aid, a a breathing sex doll, essentially, to be exploited and used and then discarded by a stranger. There, There is a major difference here. It's the difference between being an employee and a slave. It's the difference between selling an object and being one. There are those who don't want you to notice the difference. They seek to elevate prostitution by degrading all other work. And this is always the method, right? Lift up what is dirty and wrong by pulling the whole world down to its level. We should definitely resist those kinds of attempts. And to those who are attempting it, we should say, altogether now, you're canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The comedian John Lovitz incorrectly compares cancel culture to McCarthyism. CNN tries to mainstream another pervert, squishes defend critical race theory, and the Fed cancels the Founding Fathers. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.